I'm R.J. Bell with the sports betting headlines for Friday. A lot of people can tell you who's leading the Masters. We're going to tell you Vegas style who has the best odds to win. Right now, Jordan Spieth is the favorite. And the leader on the leaderboard is the second favorite. That's Justin Rose. Aaron Rodgers, 10% chance to be the next Jeopardy host. We literally have odds on that, 10% chance. And an agent says maybe Aaron Rodgers is being difficult when it comes to the Packers. And finally, we've got Atlanta's fourth pick. That is now the focus. A lot of people are saying, oh, maybe they'll get a haul like Miami. But that pick for Atlanta is very different than the number three pick. We'll explain. Here comes a four-hour of the Vegas truth covering all that and more. You're listening to Fox Sports Radio. This is Straight Out of Vegas with the voice of Vegas, your host, R.J. Bell. The pregame show America has always wanted. From the Vegas Strip, here's R.J. Bell. You heard it. I'm R.J. live on a Friday, live in Las Vegas, live on 225 FSR stations across this great, great nation. Big Friday here. Big Friday. We're going to be talking NFL, Jeopardy. Golf. Sports bettors listen for the money. Sports fans listen to no more than their buddies. I'm the pro. He's the Joe in L.A., Jonas Knox. Always good to be here, RJ. And yes, on a day in which we've got more pre-draft rumblings in the NFL, we've also got the race for the green jacket in Augusta. What is the Vegas lead here on this Friday? Well, I love live radio because we're live. Let's give the live odds regarding the ongoing Masters. We've got the, that Vegas leaderboard effectively. Absolutely. And we've got Justin Rose, who was leading yesterday when we came on the air after the first round. He is still in the lead at seven under par. But Jordan Spieth, who was several shots back, is lurking. Now just two behind Justin Rose atop the leaderboard at Augusta. This is such a great example of the sense that Vegas knows Yesterday on the show, Jonas was saying, wait a minute, what what are you saying those odds are? And we looked, and it was like Jordan Spieth was at the point nine strokes back. Nine, right? And he was at the time the second favorite to win the tournament. And I think Jonas, rightfully so, was like, that's crazy, isn't it? And it's like, yeah, it does seem kind of crazy. I mean, it's one, because we talked about how some of it is how good the expectations were coming in and how much of it is what you've accomplished so far. And when you're not even through the first round, yeah, more than three quarters is yet to come. But a nine-stroke lead, or in this case, a nine-stroke deficit, and to still be the second favorite. And Spieth entering the tournament wasn't even the favorite. It wasn't like the very best golfer by far was um, behind a little bit. It was like the third or fourth best golfer, odds-wise, was behind by nine strokes, and he was the second favorite, Jordan Spieth. Now, he's behind by two strokes in second place, and he's the favorite, 
Jordan Spieth, Justin Rose, the leader on the leaderboard, the second favorite. Then we've got Justin Thomas, third favorite. He's actually tied with Justin Rose. And then, oh, I'm going to leave this name for you, Jonas. Will with a Z. Uh, Will Zalatoris, I believe. Oh, yes, Zalatoris. I remember him. <laughs> I believe. Now, don't, don't quote me on that. Oh, I might it have sounded good. That I, your tongue kind of did something tricky, so it sounded good to me. <laughs> he is the fourth favorite. So, Jonas, what's your observations of the tournament, the odds? Open, dealer's choice. Well, I, I just think the Jordan Speed discussion is the most interesting because that's the one that we noticed right off the top yesterday was the odds for him were still – there was still a lot of faith in him even in real time on the air with such a poor opening round, which just goes to show that somebody was watching his performances leading up to this tournament. Somebody dismissed what was happening in the first round and looked beyond the quote-unquote box score and identified him as still being a threat – him still being one of the best contenders in this tournament and lo and behold they were right vegas knows vegas knows we are straight out of vegas and spief on the prior saturday won for the first time in four years so think about that you don't win in four years you win last week and i hear a lot of these golf experts saying Maybe playing hard the week before fatigues you later in the tournament, right? Sometimes there's a fade because it's one thing to maybe play but not make the cut or maybe play, but it's more like a leisurely walk. But if you're in the lead, even if it's a lesser tournament, it's going to be an energy suck. But still, and then you start bad, you think it would have been like the sense of, see, that was a fluke last week or see, let down. But the faith was still there. And again, I've been doing this a long time. I've bet pretty much every day since I was 14 years old. I'm kind of past a lot of the Vegas no stuff because I know they do, but that one was a little scary. Well, especially when you consider in golf, if this is the NBA, look, you're playing on, you know, the the rim is 10 feet tall. You're playing on the same courts, um, you know, same dimension, same everything in golf. I saw that in, fact, in Hoosiers. Yeah, the, it, it, yeah, exactly. But in golf, every course is different and every round is different. So you never know what conditions you're going to get. You never know what you're going to be dealing with there. It, it could be the most picture perfect day a week before. And then maybe you get a little bit of rain and we've seen rain at Augusta before. Like you just never know. So the idea that they were able to identify how he played the week prior at a different course and then show him this course at Augusta and say, all right, this is the guy that we believe has found something, I just think is that much more impressive. Now, another observation in McKenzie, pregame.com research. Uh, do we have uh, the matchup that Fez did with McElroy? Yep, Dustin Johnson versus Rory McElroy. How we doing? Doing well. Dustin Johnson was plus two. Rory McIlroy has missed the cut. He's plus eight on the tournament. So what you're saying is, and, and so we've made the cut. We've won the bat. Uh, last time I checked, Justin Johnson still had a few holes to go, but he's looking like he how won't far make the is cut. he? How far is he from the cut line? He's one stroke in front of it. Ooh. But even if he doesn't make it, he's got to get higher than plus eight to lose our bet. So and, we're looking good. And we're at plus what now? Plus two. So we got six <laughs> strokes to give. And how many holes yet? Six last? holes last time I checked. Twelfth, twelfth hole. Okay, this is going to be throughout the show. We like, hey, if you can, here's the here's a sign of a good bet. You bet a guy in a matchup, he misses the cut, and you still get paid. That is a good bet because oh, well, I was going to say, there's a lot of people that throw out bad beats. If you lose this bet, this is a bad beat. If you lose up well, I, six strokes, this is bad. 
I did see I did see Tin Cup. So you know, which again, <laughs> great movie. I'm RJ Bo, straight out of Vegas. Let's shift gears. I want to talk a little bit about the fourth pick in the draft and all the talk now that the Falcons pick is the focus of trades. I think that the difference between this pick and the third pick isn't as obvious and we should discuss. Yeah, and you mentioned the third pick. It was the San Francisco 49ers trading a bunch to move up to number three, presumably, and the rumors are for Mac Jones, the quarterback out of Alabama, which leaves the Falcons sitting at number four. D. Orlando Ledbetter of the Atlanta Journal-Constitution reported earlier that Falcons GM Jerry Fontenot and head coach Arthur Smith are aligned on what to do at that number four pick. The last name of the reporter was Ledbetter? Yeah, D. Orlando Ledbetter. No, I'm interested. There's an actual famous folk musician, um, and his, he went by Leadbelly, but his actual name was Ledbetter out of Texas. I'm guessing, I, I'd like to look into it. I mean, like, he, he's like Hall of Fame type folk musician. Uh, that's interesting. Okay. What, was the, what were the assumptions with the 49ers trading into the third spot? Because typically, when you see a, a, a haul, a big amount of picks, a boatload of them, it's up to number one, right? Because now you get your pick. It's your choice. But the assumption was we know who Jacksonville's taking. And at this point, it feels like we know who the Jets are taking. Also, as Jonas said, I think, first on this show, to be candid, the idea that the 49ers have a history with the Jets and, and their new head coach Maybe there was a sense of, hey, who are you guys taking? Yeah, okay, good. We're going to be ready to move up. Who knows? But either way, the 49ers made a statement implicitly. It said, we'll take any of these three quarterbacks. If somehow, some way, Trevor Lawrence falls, we'll take him. Zach Wilson, somehow, some way, we'll take him. And then there's a third guy, whoever that is, we'll take him. So they were comfortable with three quarterbacks or they felt the 49ers almost certain or certain that they knew who was getting taken ahead even if they weren't cuffed let's say just for some reason Zach Wilson wasn't their guy the Jets say we're going to take him then you trade up to three and understand there's a chance but maybe not right maybe something's going to happen but you're feeling good but we have no idea and we'll have an odds update on this we have no idea for sure who the 49ers are going to take they needed to know who were they were going to take in order to make this trade it wouldn't make sense otherwise or at least to be very sure or quite sure but we don't know and as much as i think oh what would be the reason for the 49ers to deceive to let it out that it's pretty much Mac Jones, you know, which is what we're hearing. I mean, Schefter, a guy that doesn't just put out BS, you know, he said it's almost certain or whatever the lingo was. You remember the exact wording, John? I I don't remember the exact wording, but I know Adam Schefter and several others have also said it's almost a sure thing that it's going to be Mac Jones. Yeah. Okay. The Vegas betting markets do not agree. Now, Mac Jones is getting a lot of respect, but he's only minus. This is to be the third pick. He's only minus 225. So it's saying it's about a 70, a little less than a 70% chance. Justin Fields second, plus 250. Trey Lance third, four to one. That means there's a favor, yeah, but it's not even a clear favorite. An average NBA player has a better chance of making a free throw than Mac Jones is to be the number three pick based <laughs> upon the odds. So now, if you trade up to four, 
you got to be what? Comfortable with four quarterbacks. Right? Maybe Trevor Lawrence, yeah. maybe Zach Wilson. But now, maybe you're comfortable, not comfortable with Mac Jones, and you only want Justin Fields. You can't trade up hoping that, yeah, the 65 70% chance that Mac Jones goes to the 49ers is good for us. No, because if he doesn't, if they take Fields, now what? You've just traded a boatload for a quarterback that you don't really want. And it's not even about taking the fourth quarterback, which I keep hearing people, fourth quarterback. No, it's about which of those four because if or five. Because if you want what? If you think Trey Lance is your guy, you don't care if it's the fifth quarterback. You want that quarterback. But there's no way to have certainty of it until the draft night. So my gut feeling is, to whatever degree there's going to be a market for Atlanta's pick at four, that market gets much bigger and there's more demand after the third pick is made on draft night. What do you think, Jones? Yeah, no, I totally agree. I think this is – you've got to feel really confident about the remaining quarterback that's going to be there. And if there's real questions about Justin Fields, then maybe Atlanta's in a spot to where it's not going to be as coveted as that number three pick was just because there's a lot of people that are split on that and a lot of people that aren't as certain Justin Fields is their guy. If, in fact, Mac Jones goes to the 49ers, it's clear the 49ers are a full-blown believer in Mac Jones. Mm-hmm. I don't know that Justin Fields – has that same believer in the NFL right now that's going to give up what they gave up to move up to four. Well, it seems like the narrative now that there isn't, but remember, it's just like, lucky for me, it's just like a wedding. You only need one person to say yes, Yeah. right? And <laughs> the theory is they're just Justin Fields. There's got to be one team that loves him, and that's enough. It doesn't matter if the other teams hate him. You know, sometimes it works out, sometimes it doesn't, but Tebow supposedly wouldn't have went in the second round for most teams. But one guy liked him, Denver picked him, and there you go. So I do think it's interesting, though, that come draft night, it's very possible. And I've heard this multiple times. The second quarterback on the board, Trey Lance. Meaning there's a number of teams that if they had the second pick after Trevor Lawrence went, they would take Trey Lance. So you might be able to get with the fifth pick. It seems like the likely fifth pick is going to be, or quarterback's going to be Trey Lance. That might be your second favorite. It's just you can't know for sure what's going to happen. Is there? You've talked about this before. How some one of the um, the things that the sports book do that kind of throw people off is they'll give you a bunch of options about whether or not something's going to happen, but they won't offer no. So they won't give mm. you the option for no. Is there an option on whether or not the Falcons are going to trade that pick? Meaning, are they going to move out and or, or is that something that they look at as too risky and so they're not even going to give you the opportunity to bet on it? They are a little uncertain. What they First of all, what they typically do is they won't say who's Atlanta taking. They're saying who's going to be the number four pick. Gotcha. Right? So then if they trade out, it doesn't really matter. It's still who they're going to take. Now, they may do something like some books, hey, are they going to take the fourth pick or are they going to trade themselves out? But what they're afraid of there is information breaking at unknown times. With the draft, you know when picks are going to be made. Here, though, there could be a trade at 5.30 a.m., and now what? Right? Three people bet before you could change the odds. The books are very, and I think rightfully so, scared of that. 
All right, when we come back, we're going to stay in the NFL and talk about Aaron Rodgers. Colin was talking about him today, and I agree with him. In fact, it's a lot of what we were saying earlier in the week about Aaron Rodgers, what he's doing now, what it means about his willingness to sacrifice to win. He's R.J. Bell. I'm Jonas Knox. This is the pregame show you've always wanted right here on Fox Sports Radio. Straight out of Vegas! Be sure to catch live editions of Straight Out of Vegas weekdays at 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific on Fox Sports Radio and the iHeartRadio app. Hey, I'm John Middlecoff, and I host the Three and Out podcast. Do you like football? Do you like the NFL? Do you like the NFL draft? Quarterbacks, coaches? Well, I talk about it all on the show. I used to work for Andy Reid as a scout. Now I give you my unfiltered and raw opinions on everything that goes on in the NFL. And you know we're talking college football because of how important the draft is year-round. Listen to the 3 and Out podcast with me, John Middlecoff, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I disagree with intervention. I disagree with protocol. I'm RJ Bell. We are straight out of Vegas. And I'm Jonas Knox, voice of you, the fan. Coming up here in just a couple of moments, we will continue to take a look at the Aaron Rodgers situation in Green Bay. And also, the 49ers, why would they be lying about this third pick with Shafter? I want to get into that also. Great day to join. This is the fastest growing show on Fox Sports Radio. Audiences doubled in the last year plus. Thank you so much for the support. We're going to keep working extra hard to win and deliver for you, you can listen by podcast. On Fridays, we always mention, great time to catch up over the weekend. Just search for Straight Out of Vegas, right there on your favorite pod player, and you can download any day of the week. And a lot of this week was about NFL, so it's still nice and viable. Green, evergreen, as they say, but almost. Right here in Vegas on the Strip, 82 degrees, the neon is pumping. So, RJ, the situation in Green Bay between Aaron Rodgers and the Packers continues to get a little bit more curious. Aaron Rodgers now hosting Jeopardy, and there's some questions about how long he will be the starting quarterback for the Green Bay Packers. Okay, so we've got some odds. Number one, will Rodgers return to Green Bay next season? Minus 2,000, yes. So 20 wins you a dollar. 100 wins you a Subway sub, as I like to say. So very, very likely. I think the next year is the question. Now, some people are speculating, maybe it's about this year, but Aaron Rodgers is just being stubborn and he wants to make some more money. And you might say, well, wait a minute, RJ. Hasn't Tom Brady taught us all that taking less money helps you win? Yeah, I think so. But there's another way for the Packers to gain Spending power. No, Tom Brady didn't care about Robert Kraft keeping the money instead of him. Not at all. What he cared about was the salary cap. There's a finite amount of money you can spend. And yeah, you can kick the can down the road. The Saints have shown you that. But it eventually comes due. Look at Big Ben this year and what he was due. And thus the salary cap is the constraining variable. It's the thing that constrains. It's the limiting factor. So Aaron Rodgers could have, and the Packers could have, renegotiated his contract and then made it where the money that went against the cap this year got deferred, some of it. But you don't get to do that for free. What happens is it takes a further commitment down the road. So it's like you can pay Aaron Rodgers for two more years, 
or three more years. And if you do three, you can pay them less this year, at least salary cap-wise. So what's the trade-off? Want more commitment? Better now. The Dak Prescott was the same thing. When he was going to be franchise tagged, it was all the money applied this year. Then he made a further commitment, and thus they could defer some of that. And that's what the dead cap is eventually, effectively. So when Aaron Rodgers supposedly wasn't offered that by the Packers, there was a sense of, boy, the Packers, he's the MVP, and they want to get rid of him so badly that they're not going to give him an extension, even though he's the MVP. But then, as we found out, maybe it was Aaron Rodgers who ended up saying, nah, I'm good. And it seems like Jonas, given the quote from the anonymous agent, it, it has been Aaron Rodgers being, quote-unquote, stubborn about it. Yeah, it was an article in ESPN from Rob Domofsky. Uh, in talking with an anonymous agent, he also spoke with a scout, an assistant coach, and a front office executive. And the agent's take on it was that the Packers probably have tried to reach out to create some middle ground as far as restructuring a contract or whatever, but tried to make it work with Aaron Rodgers. And that his best guess is that maybe Aaron Rodgers isn't willing to play ball right now with the Packers. And that and that was what was being whispered even a couple of weeks ago. Because initially there was all this heat on the Packers for not being willing to make that commitment. Yeah. And Aaron doesn't get he he only has one of the best receivers in football. You won't give him another <laughs> one. What's wrong with you? You're sick. <laughs> it's like, all right, but maybe it's Aaron Rodgers. And then it seems to me that the I don't know. I don't know what it takes. I mean, I guess as a I guess you could say a broadcaster, there's a sense of <laughs> there's a sense of like you get what Jeopardy would take. And I, I have no doubt Aaron Rodgers has a, a ton of qualities going for him. And it just strikes I mean, he's a great talent on the field. He might be the most talented quarterback of all time, but I mean, maybe before Mahomes or maybe even with Mahomes. He's had great performance. He'll probably go down, at least performance wise, as one of the top fifteen. Now, you might be thinking, wait a minute, if he's the most talented of all time and he's going to go down in the top 15, that doesn't sound so good. Well, okay, I'll leave it you to consider that. Now, a friend or an employee at pregame, Mark Green, said of A-Rod's performance on Jeopardy, I just got this quote, terrible, makes the show unwatchable. <laughs> now, again, Mark Green was a big fan of Alex Trebek. So, I mean, you know, maybe no one's going to fill those shoes. But even the fact that the producers thought that he was a viable possibility tells you how much talent this guy has. And you know what? Sometimes being eclectic, sometimes being open-minded is a hindrance. And the funny thing is, Jonas, when you talk about college recruiters or NFL guys, a lot of them, you know, there's a famous story in Ball Four. Now, this is a prior generation's book. Do you ever read Ball Four? No. No, I haven't. Let me, I've, I don't think I've ever recommended a book to you, like, pounding my fist. Read Ball Four. Jim Bouton was a pitcher for the Yankees in the 60s. He was a knuckleballer. And then he wrote a book. It was a year diary being with, I think, Seattle in 1968 or 69. And it was just a diary. And it, told, it talked about amphetamines. Like, it broke a lot of things in baseball that had never been discussed. And he told Mickey Mantle stories, Whitey Ford, like he, when he was on the Yankees before. And it was like the first person to talk honestly about 
baseball, and it really is a great. When I was a kid, it was one of my you know favorite books. Ball four. You can have it read by Monday. I'll, I'll check it out. I don't know about Monday. Check, what does check work. it out mean? Well, I, I got to work all weekend, so I don't, oh. I don't think there's much time. Yeah, but I'll just put it. on a best of show and read Ball Four. <laughs> That's fine. But but one of the things he talked about Jim Bouton and Ball Four was the Yankees hated that he read. Like he would, and everyone would make fun of him. They'd be like, "You're going to hurt your eyes reading like that," and then he'd be reading a book. And you know why? Because they wanted it simple. There's a there's a term clubhouse lawyer. What does that term mean? It means someone who's there saying, "Well, the union wouldn't agree with it." And you know what? If you're the GM, do you want a clubhouse lawyer? Now, maybe if you had a son, you'd want him to be a clubhouse lawyer, locker room lawyer. But they don't want that. And Aaron Rodgers might be a little too smart for the NFL, or maybe he thinks he's a little too smart for the NFL, or maybe both. But in general, none of it seems conducive to winning. None of this seems like it improves the Packers' chances to win a Super Bowl. Do you agree? Yeah, I would agree. It also feels a little bit like Kyrie Irving. Like Kyrie Irving's another guy who, who's constantly got comments and outside interests and he's into this and throwing out an opinion here. And I could just see how that would rub some people the wrong way. It is interesting that the guy that with Kyrie – that we say maybe he's a little too smart for his own good, and then it's like, but he's a flat earther. So now it's like, that seems dumb, and it goes to show you that it's not always about an IQ test, right? Meaning Kyrie could be, I don't have, I, my sense is he certainly has above average intelligence, but I don't yeah. know Kyrie, but there's different reasons, different, it's almost like left and right. People on the right think you're an idiot if you're on the left oftentimes, and vice versa, and it's like, no, there's brilliant people on both sides, but there's something about the perspective that they see it differently. And the, I think whenever you demonize the other side, it's hard to have any middle ground. And in general, I think that people have, let's say, unconventional perspectives, maybe because of intelligence, maybe because they were a lonely ch- a lone child, maybe because of whatever, I don't, some tragedy in their life, or maybe because of some great, you know, you hear all the time, Jonas, like I was never, I'll be candid. In college, I was having fun and studying. I wasn't like doing charity drives or, you know, walkathons. And I've met a lot of people, some of them Mormons that did their mission, that this was a life changing, you know, they had a life changing experience on a mission. And to me, anything that can add to your life that, that is life changing, I think is potentially a wonderful thing, especially if it's, you know, if it's positive. Have you had any experience with anyone that's like was a certain way and then they had one experience and it, it changed them? Yeah, I don't know if it's, it's something like a a charity cause or, or they went away or went abroad or anything like that. But, you know, just life experiences gone through stuff and then they just came out of it looking at things a little bit differently. Perspective change based on what they went through during that time period. And we all have that to some degree. Sometimes it's one thing we can point to. Others, it's a series of events. But how many people, you know, I'm a huge Bob Dylan fan. Dylan once said, I never write about my feelings, ever. He goes, because in six weeks, I'm probably going to feel something different. So what's the point? That, to me, is a profound statement. And the way I've always said it is, 10 years ago, I thought very differently than I think now. I know that. In 10 more years, I expect I'll think differently, too. So if right now I think only my way is reasonable, anything else is unreasonable, 
it'd be like, but 10 years ago, I thought something different. And probably in 10 years, I'm going to think something else. So as much as we can only kind of think what we believe now and, and believe it the best we can, we, that's one of the things about growing up. When you're 17 or 18, you never realize, they say you're a kid. It's like you feel like an adult, right? You have a lot of adult feelings. You're, you're getting ready for college or, or maybe not, but you're getting ready to enter the workforce. And there's a sense of like you're doing adult things. But the reason, in my opinion, you're not the difference between a kid and an adult like that is everything's for the first time. You've only seen one season effectively. You fall in love. You can't imagine breaking up. How could you? And then unfortunately later, (laughs) it becomes normal. And, you know, we can say that's bad or good, but it's reality, no doubt. And I guess in general, I can see if I was a team owner, I would be, I wouldn't want a lot of clubhouse lawyers. But on the other hand, I can see the beauty of someone willing to stand up against the crowd. And I'll say this finally on Kyrie. Seems like all that stuff, after Harden got there, seems like he's put that stuff aside. We'll see if that continues. But wouldn't you agree, Jonas, whatever we thought of Kyrie as a team guy, you got to give him good grades this season after his hiatus. Yeah, but the problem with Kyrie is you're just waiting for the next one because it just seems like there's always another episode, always something else that's going to bother him, always, you know, some sort of leave of absence he's got to take for some reason. It just it just feels like it's never he's never past that. This is always going to be part of him. Yeah, maybe. And the question is is he going to be able to kind of keep it under wraps right. at least for this year yeah. because I'll tell you this the serious people that I listen to in the NBA this it's gone from Nets got a chance a good chance to hey Nets might be the favor to I'm not sure how the Nets get beat is what the conversation is becoming yeah. and I would make the following point we'll talk about this next week we did it we're starting a study if you took the second best player off of every team if you said whoever the best player is you keep them but you take the second best if you looked at the entire NBA, the Nets would be so far above any other team without their second-best player. And it shows you they're not fragile, as we talked about yesterday. And to me, in the NBA, when you have to win four series, that really matters. Be sure to catch live editions of Straight Out of Vegas weekdays at 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific. Straight out of Vegas here on Fox Sports Radio. You can check out the show as always on the iHeartRadio app. I'm Jonas Knox, voice of you, the fan. He is the voice of Vegas, RJ Bell. So I love the concept of the back-to-backs in the NBA when there's a um, – they're playing – I guess what, what, how do you explain it? They're playing the same team twice, right? And there's usually a yeah. day off in between. Well, a home and home. I think they, they would call that. But, a- but see, that's the thing. is they, that they used to do that, but now it's two in a row right in the yes. same venue. Because yeah. they try to limit um, you know, traveling, right? Yep. And we've got a concept called the rapid revenge. So tonight, uh, the Nuggets uh, on Wednesday beat the Spurs 106-96. to They took off Thursday, and then on Friday, there's the Spurs against the Nuggets again. And this is called a rapid revenge spot. So check this out. Teams in this spot, the Spurs, are 57% this season against the spread. So they got beat. 
They had a day or so to stew on it. They play it again. And it shows you it's the whole zigzag theory we do in the playoffs, effectively, just within two games. So 57%. But here, if you want to be a little nuanced, in the first quarter of that rematch, the Rapid Revenge, it's literally 60% against the spread, 40, 27, and 3. So it goes to show you, as much as we handicap the NBA with an, or any sport with an eye towards their professionals, they try hard every game. It's like it's 60% literally that the first quarter, the game after they got beat by this same team, that team is more motivated and the results show on the scoreboard. So anyone that tells you, oh, don't use psychology – doesn't understand anything because we see it again and again and this rapid revenge is another example where psychology matters when we come back Deshaun Watson I'm going to make the case that even if things turn out about as well as you could expect he might not play this season he's RJ Bell I'm Jonas Knox this is the pregame show you've always wanted right here on Fox Sports Radio right out of Vegas Fox Sports Radio has the best sports talk lineup in the nation. Catch all of our shows at foxsportsradio.com. And within the iHeartRadio app, search FSR to listen live. I'm R.J. Bell. We are straight out of Vegas. And I'm Jonas Knox, voice of you, the fan. And R.J., last night in the NBA, you had a couple of the top teams in the Western Conference battle it out. It was the Suns and the Clippers, and it was L.A., a 10-point win, 113-103. to 103. I can't lie. I've got an inordinate amount of money on this Suns to win the Pacific. <laughs> so I am in get- – I mean, because think about it. 12-1, to 1, you put down – let's just say that uh, – I. I could get a car if this comes in. It won't be a nice car. It won't be, it won't be like a you know, $30,000 special, but you know, it's, I'm rooting them on. This is in, for new listeners, because anyone that's even semi-regular have heard, we had and gave out to you the Suns at 12-1 to to win the Pacific about ooh, five weeks ago. And now it's a little worse than even money, but that's mighty good. I feel good about the rest of the year. And to me, the key, Jonas, was this was what we call, we call a schedule loss, where it's a back-to-back, Clippers weren't on a back-to-back, and then the Suns had gone into overtime. So if you go into overtime, and then the next game you play with no rest, it's, it's just hard to win. What was that, McKenzie, about 60% historically? That's right, 60% if you fade that team, yep. Yeah, so the other team, the Clippers in this case, had 60% chance to win based on history, I believe the Clippers not being able to pull away till late. The fact the Suns were close is a good sign for the Suns. And I also think if you look at the Utah Clippers back-to-back, to get one out of two there is mighty, mighty good. So I'm feeling good about the Suns. And in a minute or two, I'm going to actually have an impromptu best bet for us in the NBA. Uh, RJ, the Deshaun Watson situation continues to take another turn here. Earlier today, it was announced that the judges have ruled that the women who have accused Deshaun Watson of the sexual assault uh, in the civil trial, they are actually trying to get, uh, they must disclose their names, their identities must be revealed. On top of that, Rusty Hard and Deshaun Watson's lawyer acknowledged that there were sexual encounters with some of these masseuses, but that it was all consensual in regards to Deshaun Watson and the women. 
there's a concept that started with the Clinton administration, which is the idea, and again, whatever your political uh, beliefs are, the Clintons at the time were masterful with the media, with understanding the politics of the day. And one of the concepts was rolling disclosure. The theory being, if you hear a little bit today and a little bit in a week and a little bit more in another week, eventually it all starts to kind of blur together and none of it is too big. Yeah, he, you know, yeah, he did drink, uh, have a drink before. And I'm not talking about Deshaun Watson. I'm just hypothetically. He did have a drink before he got in the car, but just one. And then it's like, well, actually, he had two. You can imagine it. And actually, he stopped and had a joint on the way. And all of a sudden, all together, that might be horrible if you think about it, but it doesn't sound as bad each little increment at a time. So now we're hearing there was a sexual you know, encounters, but it was consensual. And I'm not saying we're going to hear this next, but would it be a shocker to hear? But, you know, maybe there was a misunderstanding or maybe some signals were crossed. I don't know. But it feels like that this is not the um, approach that a purely innocent person that is not touched by any of this would have. Okay, what does it mean? And this is what I'm going to pose as a question. Let's assume this is about as innocent as it could be given the givens. And there's uh, 20 plus sexual encounters and some of the women felt jilted after where maybe it was as consensual as could be. But if they felt like they were jilted, they didn't get like a Jeter's bag with the, you know, with the various gift baskets right. or whatever that's rumored to be out there. And to me, what happens then? Because the speech or the, the statement from the lady a couple days ago, it was really hard. It really struck me as like, wow, that was potent. I thought I was going to be skeptical because I knew it was the lawyer telling her. But it was like talking about her dream to be a massage. Star. Boy, imagine 20 of them. So to me, the NFL in this Me Too era, even if he didn't break a single law, even if there's not a single a civil judgment against him, does Watson get away scot-free from the NFL? I don't think so. No chance. And to me, if the best case scenario is he's got problems, he's got problems. Quickly, Jonas. And I, I also think the fact that the you know the woman gave her speech. Um, there were others that you know had their testimony, so to speak. And you saw the sponsors that day start to pull out. I think yeah. it struck a chord. It was with a, a bad with a lot of people. Yeah, it was really bad. Quick bet here to end the show. We're going with the Joker for Denver, Jokic, under 10.5 rebounds. Now, McKenzie did great research on this. Since Aaron Gordon joined the team, the Joker has gone under 10 rebounds six straight games. So just what Gordon is doing is making the Joker less uh, focused. He doesn't need to be on the rebounds. And thus, six straight games, it's gone under 10. We're going under 10.5 here which is the odds. And finally, if you look against the Spurs, who Denver plays, is he's averaged the second fewest rebounds against the Spurs as any team in the NBA. So matchup says less rebounds. History says less rebounds. Best bet under Jokic rebounds 10 and a half. 
If you missed any of today's show, including a look at the Masters and who is the favorite making a charge at Augusta, you can check out the podcast at foxsportsradio.com. We are straight out of Vegas. We will be back on Monday, 6 p.m. Eastern time, 3 o'clock Pacific, right here on Fox Sports Radio. And as always, you can check out the show on the iHeartRadio app. Straight out of Vegas! 